legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Welcome to the show. I'm Gary Michaels, your host for Let's Talk Legacy. And we're back with another awesome show today. Our guest, Stephen Short, runs Successful Succession, is the former global chair of the Global Student Entrepreneur Awards, serves on a number of advisory boards as a coach for accelerator companies scaling up their businesses, as an angel investor, as a mentor to emerging entrepreneurs in Ireland and internationally. Stephen has delivered keynotes, facilitated workshops, and taught on leadership in academies in Europe, North America, the Middle East, Asia, and his mission is to help people build a killer family business without killing your family, which I think is uh, quite interesting to many of us in business. When his own parents still work with him, so he must be doing something right. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks very much, Gary. Yep. Um, so I, I actually still work with my folks and I still, in the last year, I actually live with my folks. So my wife and I sold our house. We renovated my family home. So my parents live downstairs and we live upstairs with our kids, which I, I suppose from a legacy point of view, which is what you're talking about in your podcast. I remember the day probably 11 years ago now when I sat down on my kitchen table in my home with my wife and my, my one child at that stage and said, look, I got to leave the family business because my parents will never see their grandkids because we'll hate each other and we ha- we won't be able to be in the same room. So the fact that we're now living together in the same house very, very happily is a, a real testament to to the things that I've learned along the way and the, the structures that we were able to put in place, which is brilliant. That's awesome. So you grew up in two family businesses. Tell us about growing up and what those businesses were and what the challenges became when you bought them and took them over. So growing up in two family businesses, it, for, for a really, really long time, it just didn't seem, it, it, it wasn't weird. I just presumed that everybody would be having their dinner and the phone would ring and your parents would be, they'd be really annoyed. They'd pick it up, hello, and they say the name of the business. Very, very polite and happy because it's a potential customer and all the rest of it. Uh, so I, I always thought that was hilarious. I used to think it was really funny. So I just thought that was the norm. Everybody did this. Everybody didn't have a five o'clock, they finish and go home. There's always talk at the dinner table. There's always this client or this whatever. So the two businesses, the oldest one is uh, psychometrics, career guidance, personality profiling, selection for companies and distribution of a lot of psychometric tests and publishers from the US, from the UK and from Europe into Ireland. That I wasn't very involved in until I bought that business about six years ago. Because I, it needed a lot more experience and a lot more, like you had to be a business coach, so you needed to have business experience. You needed to know what interview skills were. You needed to know all these different things that were really important in, in running that business. So I got involved in the other business, which is an English language school, an ESL school, where we taught English as a foreign language to international students. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I bought that, what, 10, 11 years ago and sold it right before COVID. So just before the the industry completely was destroyed. But that's how I learned how to be an entrepreneur. So I learned how to run programs, deal with clients, deal with customers, create programs, do the marketing, do the traveling, 
uh, and it was a, a phenomenal business. It was a, it's a, it still is an amazing industry. Uh, and I still have a lot of friends and colleagues in that industry. When you were involved in those two businesses, were there ever struggles or was it, was it just like you said, natural? <laughs> uh, I mean, there was always struggles. There was always, uh, and I think this is a natural thing and this happens with multi-generational businesses. So if the next generation, i.e. me in that scenario, we grew up understanding the internet, understanding, I mean, I, I wasn't born with a phone. I didn't have phones, smartphones when I was a kid, but I used technology. I used emails. I taught myself HTML in college building websites and conversion rates and understanding this kind of stuff, which was completely not the world my parents lived in, but it was the world that we were evolving into. So I was trying to push for things to, to redo the website, to have a website that was not just a static page, to have some interactive elements, to have some other stuff that was engaging. So I actually remember we used to go to conferences where we would have, it would be almost like speed dating. We would have a table to be about 400 other schools there from around the world. And every 30 minutes, you have a different buyer, different client who's, who is a travel agent for that industry. And now you have your booking for, you have your account, you see which slots you're going to block off for lunch, or you know, you have a meeting, you send a couple of emails to the people you want to meet and they block in on the appointments. That's technology. That's brilliant. Right. But I actually remember the days when we used to get a, a book in the post about a month beforehand and we had to send faxes out and we had to try and get people to confirm their meetings and you'd send a fax and you pencil their name in for the time that you've told them that you want to meet them, but you have no idea if they have a booking that day, that time or whatever. And it was just logistically such a nightmare for this international element of the business. And it was one time, and this is a, again about technology and moving past what my parents were would have done. And my parents always had this the book and the, the fax machine and we had the computer for printing off stuff. But I remember once my father and I were both at this desk and he had sent off a, fa a fax to invite somebody to come for that particular slot. I had sent off a fax to get somebody to come for that slot. Neither of them answered. We sent a follow-up, neither of them answered. So we said, okay, they're not coming. So we invited somebody else each and neither of them answered. And it was like the last slot of the day. So my father said, look, I'm going to go off. There's nobody here for the rest of the day. I'm, I'm going to go get ready for the dinner tonight. And then about 30 seconds after he left, all four of the people came for came their meeting. Up. Wow. <laughs> you're That's like, funny. okay, you're all from four different countries with four different requirements. Okay, have a seat. We only had two seats anyway. So the way that things change and the way that the next generation looks at things is really, really important to, for the current generation to understand that they have to shift their mindset. So what, what are the biggest mistakes people commonly make if they're in the family business? So I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the hero's journey, which is the, the story, the archetypal story arc of, of pretty much every blockbuster movie, all the books that have been written through, throughout history. And there's a uh, there's a book of a hero with a thousand faces. It's basically the same story told in different ways. And the story starts with the status quo. This is where we are right now. And then we have a hero which has the call to adventure. They get this kick up the backside or uh, something happens. And then just before they leave for the special world, they either have most commonly a guide or mentor or a sage or somebody that imparts some wisdom to them, or they get a, a trinket or whatever, which helps them in the way. And then they go into the special world. I mean, if you think of Star Wars, you've got Yoda. If you think of uh, Harry Potter, you've got Dumbledore. If you think of the Marvel Universe, you've got the ancient. All these people who act in these huge stories. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that entrepreneurship is that special world. That's where we go into. And as the next generation, we grow up in this, and then we have this call to adventure. And then we start to go into entrepreneurial world. When we come back out the other side, though, the problem that 
current generation entrepreneurs have is they still think themselves the hero of their of that story. And what I want to challenge current generation entrepreneurs to change their mindset to be that they're not the hero of their own story. They need to become the mentor of the next generation's hero story. Mm. That's where a lot of the time the current generation can't let go. They still see it's they're the hero of their story, but they're not. They still have another story. They still have a complete life to live. I'm not saying that they're washed up and finished, but there comes a point when the hero of that story needs to become the mentor of the next hero's journey. How do you know when that's the case? If you're, let's say you're building a company, Mm -hmm. at what point do you know if you've arrived in that company? to now take on the role of mentor. I, I've always been under the impression, I may be wrong, I should always be mentoring and always be the person that's going to help the next generation get where they want to be. Is there a formula for it or is it just kind of the awareness? I think you're right. I mean, good leaders are always being mentors. But when you ask me about the issue with the most common thing that I see in family businesses, it's when the current generation don't have that. They might be great mentors for the people in their teams. But not the family. I. Not the family. There's the cobbler has no shoes kind of thing. Like they might be great at mentoring other people, but when it comes to the family, they, they have a harder time making that shift. And it also, because if they're coming out the other end of that journey, there's a sense of finality to it and a sense of almost morbidity to it, even though there's not, it's, you're still very active. You still have decades left to contribute and be a, a active participant in whatever you want to be participating in. But it's, when the next generation, when you're ready to take a step back and the next generation is really ready to step in, that's when that transition needs to happen. How did you help up and coming generations align the future vision of a business? If, you know, mom and dad have run it this way and now the kids are getting involved in it. Mm-hmm. How do you as a company, as a coach help foster that? So part of it is you've got to understand what the timeline is for the current generation. Like how long do they want to be proactively involved in the business. My advice is always maximum five years. When you make that decision that it's time to transition out, when it's time for you to step back and become a board member or chairman as opposed to an active director or an active executive in the company, it's a maximum of five years. Anywhere from three to five years is kind of the sweet spot in the prepare stage where you're able to take on the next generation as a mentor, as a proactive hands-on mentor, make sure that they understand the history of the company and make sure they understand why decisions have been made the way that they've been made. But then there comes a time when you have to step back and go, okay, it's now on you. So there comes a time when the current generation has to step back and and promote the, the next generation. But what we need to do in that three to five year window is to understand what the next generation's long-term vision for the businesses. I mean, we're talking 20, 30 years kind of BHAG type vision. Mm-hmm. And then what the f- current generation's vision is for the next five years. And we've got to align those two for five years. We've got to make sure that everybody's happy with the direction that the company is taking in the next five years for the current generation to either maximize their impact, maximize their their return, maximize whatever it is that they're looking to get out of that five years, and to set the next generation up for success, that the five years is spent proactively either pulling whatever levers or moving the direction that they need to make sure that they're getting set up in the right trajectory for success. So there's a lot of challenges. I I imagine a lot of things are smooth because people, you know, know what the family's been doing for years. But Mm -hmm. what are some of the most common roadblocks when a new generation is taking over the business that they have to be able to plow through? I'd say 95% of the time, it all comes down to people and the way that the company is run. And what I see a lot of the time is you might have, let's say, a very results-driven founder of the business, like the stereotypical father, the founder of the business, the let's just say father, mother, whatever. But as they're 
driving the business on from nothing. They're very driven, very results oriented, always focusing on the bottom line, making sure that things are pushing on and pushing on, even though they haven't needed to be as absolutely driven and results oriented because the company is now taking over quite well and they're still driving the way that they used to, or they're just getting tired and burnt out because they're still driving even though they don't have to. Then let's say that your next generation is more of a people oriented leader, more of a networking oriented leader and is looking to doesn't need to necessarily have the blood, sweat, and tears that went into the first five years of building up this organization. Let's say we're at two, two and a half, three million, and we're turning over, it's turning over quite well as a good team of people. And the next generation has grown up with that and understanding how to get people motivated and how to get people involved. There can be a huge clash of personalities there between the results-oriented leader kind of going, you're not doing the work. You're not working hard enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing all the things that I had to do. You don't you're not showing any respect for all but the dad, that's not the way I want to do it. <laughs> exactly. Right? And that's right. but and it's a different way of doing it. And there's nothing to say that it's not going to be as successful. It's just different. It's a different way of doing it. And what I always do is I, I start I do a little bit of a, a personality profile on the different generations because we do personality profiling as well to identify, look, these are your traits and these are your unconscious biases. So do you understand why you now clash over this and how we can get that turned around? Uh, an example is a friend of mine who was a client as well, who he's the real CEO type kind of out there pushing things along, driving the business because he loves being out there and, and selling and developing things. His son, who's starting to look at joining the business, is not that way at all. He's much more introverted and he is a brilliant process-based leader. He's great at operations. He's great at processes, automation, figuring out how to make things work smoother. What we've done is a plan that when my buddy's ready to leave the business in a couple of years' time, they're going to take on, well, I could believe like 10 years' time, the plan is to take on some rock star CEO from outside of the business. The rock star CEO is going to be tasked with going, okay, you've now got to get this business from three, three and a half million up to 12 million in 10 years. That's your job. You're going to have the resources to do it. And my son is going to work alongside with you as the COO. He's going to be hand in hand with you. In 10 years time, you get up to that 12 million, you get an enormous payout. You get an amazing, like that is the understanding of the deal. Uh, you get to that point, you get an enormous payout and you get to have on your CV what an amazing job you did and you go work for some massive organization. At that point, my son steps sideways into the CEO role and it's less about building the business and more about maintaining the efficiency of this business. And the example that I used in that was the Steve Jobs, Tim Cook idea that Apple has never been so profitable and they haven't really invented anything, which was Steve Jobs' real push and drive. But right. now that the COO is in, in charge, basically in charge of the, the operations, it's much more profitable and successful. What about when a family business is going well for years and it's time to bring in someone from the outside? So unless you are in like Dallas or Dynasty or one of those other 80s dramas that we used to watch, you're just not going to have enough kids to be able to run your business the way you want. It's something that my father used to always joke and said he wish he had more kids. But I mean, you're going to need to bring people in. You're going to need to bring people in that have expertise that complement where you need those parts of your business shorn up or something like that. Family businesses, if you get the right people in a family business, they tend to stick around because they're treated like family, not some automaton drone in a, in a big faceless organization. I mean, in this business now, the people who are working with us are been with us for 24 years, 26 years, 14 years, and five years, babies. It, it's not a, a faceless kind of soulless organization. There's a, there's a sense of fam familiarity and family. People feel involved uh, is what we try to promote and what happens an awful lot in family businesses. That's awesome. So all of your projects, 
businesses and programs feed into the core purpose, which is to help people aspire a better future and empower them to get there. Talk about building better futures for people. Why is that important to you? And what's kind of your end game in life? We lived in Spain for a year, uh, six years ago, which is when I made the decision to sell the language school and to buy the other business and to focus on the other business. And in that time, in that year, I did a lot of the, you know, the Simon Sinek start with why I'd always been kind of really inspired by that and understanding like, what is it? Why are we doing this? There's so many ways you can make money in this world. Why do we do it this way? Right. Uh, and I worked through that night, a couple of mentors that I worked and bounced the idea off about the different ideas about what was. And that's when I came up when the crystallization of Aspire and Flourish came or Aspire and Empower came in. And it's really because I remember being in school as a young person, being different from other people and being made to feel like, yeah, you're not going to, you're, you're too different. You're not going to fit the mold that we understand of people that are just going to go into corporate world or civil service or whatever. And I remember that feeling of knowing that I didn't want to do that and feeling lost and feeling really worthless. So for me, it's really important. I think people who are in a job that they enjoy, that they're good at, they're generally happier. Because there's all, all kinds of other stuff that you can't control, partners, family life, all this kind of stuff. But generally, if you're in a job that you enjoy and you're good at and you have a certain amount of success and satisfaction in it, that sets you up for a huge amount of, of happiness to be able to, to find life partners. I mean, there's nothing that'll match a life partner, but I can't, I'm not a matchmaker. Yeah. And what I'm interested in is making sure that you get the satisfaction in your work where you're spending the majority of your day. When I heard we were going to have you on the show, I was excited when I, I learned that, that you believe in youth entrepreneurialism. Mm -hmm. You know, for 19 years of my career, I was part of the largest school fundraising company in the world. Watching these kids from kindergarten all the way through high school go out and sell things and lead teams and do things to make money and be in, in, in their little business. And talk to me a little bit about youth entrepreneurialism and how important it is and and how it should be part of families, whether it's sales or whatever it is, having the youth feel like they're in charge of their life. So I set up my first business venture uh, when I was about nine years old. So I grew up in family business. We had an office in the house. We had a big photocopier in the house because this was, again, back in the day, you didn't have websites. You had big <laughs> uh, sure. booklets and brochures of all the tests and books and stuff that you, you produced or you, you sold. And I've always been into art and drawing and, and creating that kind of stuff. So when I was about eight, nine years of age, uh, I used to draw comic books, take some of the ideas that I that ripped off some of the other comic books that were around and take them, put them into my own stories, photocopy them in my parents' office for free and sell them for about five cents. Now, back in the day, it probably cost me about seven or eight cents per page to photocopy and I had about six pages in it. So I was selling it for five cents. So Thankfully, my grasp of economics has improved since then. People were getting a deal, right? They People were getting, were getting a deal. <laughs> Businesses, if they were smart, they would have gone, look, I'll pay you for this, but just give me the paper. I don't sure. want to comment. I just want the paper for five cents. So I think it is really important to, to know. I mean, sales is important in, no matter what industry you're in, whatever, whatever you're doing to sell and to, to sell well without being sleazy and without like using tricks and actually listening to the client and listening to what they want. And then if they're a good fit, offer them a solution. If you're not a good fit, being honest and go, look, this is probably a better solution for you. It'll come back. Like all these kind of things that you learn about your reputation as opposed to the quick sell, the, the age old thing of marketing is everything and everything is marketing. So getting involved in that at a young age and understanding how that works uh, is really important. 
so I was involved and I still am involved locally in the Global Student Entrepreneur Awards, which is in about it's 52 countries around the world where we find uh, national winners that represent their country on a global finals. The Irish winner, the guy who represented Ireland last year, actually won the global competition, which was phenomenal for us. This one is aimed at university students who are who own and operate their own business that actually have an entity and LLC or whatever to actually have it as a business. And the idea is not necessarily, it's not about this business is going to be the one that takes you to the stratosphere. It's you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. You have the drive, you have the interest, you have the ambition. This idea might not be the one that makes it for you, but you'll stick it out. Uh, and I, I just absolutely love the the energy, the drive, the passion. And purely selfishly, I'm looking at some of these, I mean, I call them kids, but they're adults. I was able to understand different things and okay, well, that could be that could be something for me to be able to learn and for me to be able to implement in my business, which is not a competing business. And the energy you get from it is just phenomenal. Of course it is. Our show is called Let's Talk Legacy. What does legacy mean to you in general? I suppose legacy for me is what you leave for other people when you're gone. And that's it. Like when you can't contribute anymore, what's there for the people that you care about? Uh, and that can be whether you care about a, a huge society at large and you're able to amass an, a huge fortune. You say, look, I'm going to donate 90% of my wealth to a hospital or something like that for the community of my city. That's a legacy for other people who aren't as fortunate or haven't been in a position to be able to have that amount of success. What are you leaving for your kids? What are you leaving in your kids as opposed to what are you leaving for them? Like what, what knowledge, what experience, what traits have you been able to instill in them as well as do they have enough to live comfortably and, and to take risks for themselves to be able to do things for themselves and their own kids? Right. Is there a legacy for your company? Is there a legacy that you want your clients to know about you with your current company? Yeah, I, I mean, the, when it comes to companies, because they're so dynamic, um, I've actually seen this, a really good friend of mine wrote a book called Legacide, uh, Richard Holland, where people who are, I think legacy is really important and leaving a, leaving a mark, but we also have to be able to pivot. We also have to be able to adapt and change because the world is changing. And if we just continue to think of legacy, the way the things have been done, so that's the way they have to be done, then we can run afoul of, of very bad decisions and not being able to keep up with the market. He wrote a great book. He'd be a great person to have on the podcast, actually. But for me, uh, the business legacy is, it's about your, I suppose it's your reputation. It's how others perceive you. It's how people identify and they can say, okay, well, that's, I need this product or service. Uh, I know that that business, or I don't know anything about that business, but I'll ask one or two people, they know about it and they're saying it's the right place for me to go. But for me, legacy is, is more about when you're not around, like when you're no longer able to be active and influencer. So you're about to launch your own podcast as well. Yeah, I just launched it actually. Oh, sweet. Tell um, our listeners about the concept and when and where they'll be able to hear it. So I have a keynote and a book that I'm researching to write at the moment called Build a Killer Family Business Without Killing Your Family. The whole idea of being able to, to scale through the generations. So at, at the beginning, so because this is about legacy, uh, there's four things that I think can happen to a company when the current generation decides that they've had enough of it. There's either one is stop. If they die or they decide then I'm not doing anything else, the company just stops. The second is sell. Plenty of private services company that can be able to help you to sell and maximize that. The third is survive, which is where they just put somebody in place to see things through, not rock the boat. My issue with that is usually that's just a prolonged stop and a very painful stop because the market will overrun you and car competitors will overrun you. 
What I'm interested in is scale, helping the next generation to scale through the generations to be able to build a business uh, on top of each other. That's where the killer family business thing comes in. I want to help people to be able to get help the next generation to scale the business through their hard work. So we set up the killer family business podcast, helping build a killer family business without killing the family. And I figured the best per, the best people that I could possibly have interviewed in the very first episode of this podcast are my parents, the original founders of our family business. So we had a little trip uh, down through memory lane. I knew some of the stories, but some of it in the format was really interesting to hear how they come into this journey. Neither of them grew up in entrepreneurial families, why they did it, um, if they ever saw myself and my sister joining the business and, and how that evolved and naturally came about, and then how they're getting on uh, with their grandkids living in the house. It's a brilliant, oh, that, really, awesome. really cool full circle story. Will your guests be family businesses or people that are in a family business? Will it be all different types of guests? And yeah, so so the idea is to get uh, current generation, next generation, or thought leaders, people who can add something to family businesses specifically, So, but it's all focused on family businesses. I have one friend who bought into his wife's family business, uh, so I interviewed him about that process. I have another friend who is a coach on values-based leadership, so how we can make sure that we have values instilled in our family businesses, in our businesses at large, and in our in our family. It's a really fascinating story. I have other people who have bought family businesses, have completely changed and pivoted family businesses. So there's, there's a lot of people coming up, and the friends of mine that I've met over the years that who have really compelling stories that I want to share with the world. It's awesome. How would someone reach you if they want to hear about your podcast, get advice from you about their family business? How would you recommend they go about that? Uh, so the podcast is killerfamilybusinesspodcast.com. And that goes to the right page on our site, which is Successful Succession. So either one, Successful Succession or Killer Family Business Podcast will bring you to the site. And then there's contact me, have a book in a call with me and a Zoom call. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Stephen, and have a rock and rest of your day. Your day is almost over. I'm just getting started. <laughs> well, you you have so far the day is great. You'll be fine. I'll give you a head start. All right, Thanks a million, friend. guys. Lovely to talk to you. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies. Thank you.